everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Anirudh Singh. Our guest today is Nitin Gupta, founder and CEO of Uni. Nitin is an alumni of IIT Delhi and IIM Ahmedabad. He started his career as a founder and CEO of Kojguru and then led the PayU India team as co-founder and CEO. He built PayU into one of the largest payment gateways in India. He later headed Ola Financial Services as CEO and launched Ola Money Postpaid, now one of the largest financial services businesses in India. In December of 2021, Uni raised a $70 million Series A round led by General Catalyst. Apart from building cutting-edge financial products, Nathan is also an active angel investor. In today's episode, we discuss being a serial entrepreneur, the credit landscape in India, how Uni plans to continue growing, and much more. Hope you enjoy the show. So hi, Nitin, and thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, how are you doing and where are you calling in from? Hello, Nero. Thank you so much for having me over. I'm calling from Bangalore. Nice. Uh, and for listeners that might not know, could you just provide a brief overview of your career to date and how you became involved in fintech? I've been with fintech for a long time. So very quickly, I'm a computer science engineer from IT Delhi, then went to Ahmedabad, started my career with Lehman in London. Uh, was securitizing assets fancier than subprime mortgages. Uh, this is way back in 06, 07, and 08. And then uh, post that, I've been an entrepreneur. Uh, my first company was in advertising couponing. My second company, which I started in 2011, was called PayU. It became India's largest, second largest payment processor five years later. And very recently, it has now become the largest. Then 2016, I exited PayU. Then I became CEO of Ola Financial Services in 2017. Ola is the equivalent of Uber. They are a ride-hailing company. And um, we showed India what embedded finance could mean with Ola Financial Services. Then in 2020, during pandemic, I exited Ola and I started Uni, which is a credit card and pay later cards company. So I've been uh, in fintech now for more than a decade. <laughs> really old that way. Amazing. And I noticed you're also an active uh, angel investor. What kind of deals do you typically target? Are they also fintech deals? Yeah. So I have two theses. Uh, one is financial services. I just love financial services or payments. I just get that domain. So if I see a deal in that, I evaluate. If I like the thesis, I like the founders, I already check. The second is friends I know. So, you know, when you are as old as me and you have been working as long as me in the internet, Indian internet industry, you get to make a lot of friends. And when those friends start up, you just write them a check, blind check, typically. So these are the kind of two theses I invest in. Got it. And and can you provide a overview of some of the learnings, the key learnings you had at PayU and uh, Olo Financial Services that helped you launch and build Uni? Good one. Uh, <laughs> I think very different kind of learnings. Um, I think what I learned from PayU, so in both places we found product market fit, right? And we could scale to meaningful positions. In uh, PayU, uh, we actually became almost like a 900-employee company. And I think what I remember most fondly from PayU, the best learning lessons were all around leadership. And the first time entrepreneur, you scale and you scale massive teams. I think you do a lot of mistakes because you are leading from first principles, you're leading from what you think is right, you're leading from your own value system. But that's not how necessarily leadership works. And, um, and I think the best lessons of PayU are all around people leadership lessons uh, that I took away. Uh, of course, I learned about a domain too. When I look at Ola Financial Services, there also we scaled quite well. We were a 500 employee company. 
revenues were not too uh, dissimilar at the end of payu and the end of ola but i think in ola financial services i went really deep into domain i experimented with at least a dozen different ideas across financial services spectrum and that i that i most fondly remember about uh, when i'm building uni it's actually my fourth attempt at building a credit cards business the first was in payu then i had two in ola financial services and this is my fourth right so i think i think cumulatively those experiences have helped a lot and another thing that uh, i think i found at both these places was a co-founder reach i have two co-founders one is from payu days and one is from ola financial services days so so yeah good takeaways so you mentioned it's your fourth time working on creating a credit card product or credit card startup what about the credit card landscape in india makes it such an appealing uh, market for you to work in so in india credit cards is a fairly interesting market there are about 36 million indians holding about 60 odd million credit cards which have spent of almost 150 billion dollars annually uh, revenues of almost 10 billion dollars and a pat of almost 2 billion odd dollars right so very very massive profitable industry but this industry is a very very small size of the potential if you look there are 190 million indians today who have a presence on a credit bureau because they have taken a loan in the past but only 35 million indians have a credit card or if you look at number of indians who buy digitally online therefore have disposable income is about 150 million but only 35 million have a credit card so there is this massive tailwind that the credit card industry will grow by about 3x over the next 5 years these 35 million indians will grow to about 100 million indians the 60 million cards will grow to about 20 million cards and if you look at the market cap attributable to the 60 million cards today if you add up the market cap of sbi cards it's the second largest credit card player if you add up the market cap which is attributable to credit card business for hdfc bank or icic bank or axis bank you can easily get that from mnst reports it's adds up to 60 billion dollars so 60 million cards are worth 60 billion dollars today in market cap if there are 200 million cards tomorrow that's about 150 200 billion dollar market cap right there so an incremental 100 billion dollar market cap will get created in the next 5 years from credit card business that's what makes it very very attractive and that's just one lens right you can apply many more lenses of how to go about this industry the maturity of the industry the maturity of the players the product depth etc etc and this this space has just massive opportunity to create a very very large company very quickly that's the that's a quick and short of it and why is the number at 35 million right now is it a lack of credit appetite from consumers or is it red tape from banks um it, all of the above why do you think it's so low right now it's for the lack of a better word people have gotten used to banks this is not lack of appetite from the customers the issue is banks so banks went berserk in 2007 there were almost 22 million credit card in 2007 and everybody and anybody got a credit card quite easily Then 2008 crisis happened. A lot of banks had massive losses on the credit cards portfolio, and this 22 million cards shrank to about 13 million cards, or roughly 50 percent, one three thirty million. At that point of time, banks became very conservative, dealing only with a low risk customer, and they also got used to a very high ROA. A bank typically make between six to eight percent ROA on their credit card business, while every other product will deliver them two percent ROA. This standalone gives six to eight percent ROA, and this thing, right? This Two things have held them back. This 
risk. So because the risk that they saw in 2007, they are very conservative about taking massive amount of risk. Or in English, uh, you know, if you're burnt once, twice shy, something similar is happening when it comes to taking losses or going after riskier customer segments. Second, they want to generate very high ROA. So they want to go only after, you know, some kind of affluence. And because of these two reasons, banks have artificially kept back uh, many customers for getting access. And only banks were allowed to issue a credit card. But that thing has started to change because of emergence of pay later and pay later cards. Pay later card is nothing but a pay later working on a net on a, on a Visa card or a MasterCard. You now customers have an alternative to a credit card, which feels like a credit card. And that is helping helping to expand the market. That's the core. And let's let's dive in now specifically to uni. So, how did you decide uh, when you were at Olo Financial Services to leave and to and to launch uni? And what types of products are you hoping to launch with uni? As I said, right, this is my fourth attempt. In 2016, in PayU, I was building a tech-first, product-first credit card like Apple Card, and Apple Card was actually launched in 2018. So, in 2016, I was definitely ahead of the times. Then, in Ola Financial Services, I launched a PayLater card where we had a pay later line coupled with a MasterCard. Uh, we did a co-brand credit card between Ola and, and SBI cards, which is the second last issuer. It helped me learn a lot. And it helped me understand these that this industry has been artificially held back. Right? That was my first big takeaway. My second big takeaway was that I felt that the product, credit card product is way too vanilla a product. 30-day billing cycle, get billed every month. Then you have grace period or industry period of 15, 20, 25 days. And you have rewards for you to take a credit card. But different customer segments are exhibiting different needs. For example, some customer segments are very happy with 30-day credit period. Somebody wants 60 days, 90 days longer. Some wants to work on UPI. There are people with different risk and different incomes. They want different things, different pricing, different charges. Right? Basically, the realization was that you can actually build different credit-led payment products for different customer segments. Let's double-click on US for a minute. Right? The three companies in US, there is Affirm, there is Afterpay, and there is Upgrade. All three of them look like credit card companies or credit, uh, you know, uh, BNPL companies from a distance. But the three products are fundamentally very, very different. If you look at Affirm, it's a high transaction size, long tenure uh, affordability product. So it's typically a 12-month, uh, you know, you're buying a high-ticket uh, item. If you look at Afterpay, it's a six-week product, payment product. You know, you're paying off the entire payment within six weeks, while in Affirm, it's 12 months. If you look at Upgrade, you are doing all purchases like you do on a typical credit card, but end of month, that thing converts into an installment, right? A pre-decided installment. So very, very three different types of products dealing with different use cases and many times different customer segments, different needs. The same thesis applies in India. You can actually market or you can build different products. I just took three examples. You can actually build 30 such different products and go after different customers. The first product that we launched in uni, what we call as pay one third, is our take on risk-based pricing. See, in, in mature markets like US, the customer is very trained on APR. When you take a credit card, you think whether it's 15% APR or 20% APR or 40% APR. In Indian market, customers are not trained on APR. Everything is priced as 40% APR. And if you try selling a 15% APR product, they, they don't understand it really. So we said the alternative or another way to do change pricing, instead of changing APRs, you change credit periods. You give longer credit periods free of cost. So our first product, which we call as pay one-third card, where 
In that product, every transaction is actually split into three parts, paid over three months at zero extra cost. So your credit period is practically 90 days. Let's say you did a $300 transaction, you're paying $100 end of month one, $100 end of month two, $100 end of month three. And if you could pay off this entire $300 end of month one, you get 1% rewards. Now this product right, is first of its kind, never have existed. And it works on Visa card. Uh, and it offers unmatched liquidity to the customer. If they have funds, they get 1% reward. Otherwise, they just have to give up that 1% reward and they can pay in three months. Now, we are giving longer credit period. So this product is only meant for super prime risk customers. And this is how risk-based pricing happens. Only 45% of existing credit card users in India qualify for pay one third card because only those many users are super prime customers. And to those customers, instead of they paying 40% plus uh, paying back in 30 days and paying 40% APS otherwise, we have now given them an option to pay in three months. And that's how we have risk priced them. So that's the first product that uh, Uni launched. Uh, and we have many more in Python. And can you talk to me a little bit about customer education? So I, you've mentioned like it's easier to sell uh, longer payment periods than it is to sell a lower APR. But I imagine there's still some level of customer education that needs to be done. And how do you, how have you, or how do you plan to approach that part of the business? So we named that product as pay one third, right? Now curiosity starts right from there. It's much more easier to explain that you have to pay it in three months uh, rather than, you know, what's an APR and how, when it will get applied and blah, 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 right? So actually once, it's not that hard to explain the product because all you're saying is you can pay in three months at zero extra cost. And if you pay early, you get 1% reward. So it's actually not that hard to explain. Uh, and while APR sounds simple, they're much harder to explain. Because customers don't come in or take a credit card in India with their intent to reward. And can you talk to me a little bit about the customer acquisition strategy? So on your website right now, it's it's trying to join the beta. Is that enough for right now? Is it just organic growth or do you have some some bigger plans coming up? We, we advertise digitally, good old Facebook and Google. Uh, and that works well. Our customer acquisition costs today are a fifth of a typical bank. And it's actually almost like an eighth of a typical bank for that customer segment. So we are like really, really low. And all we had to do is was innovate on the product and just market that product to customers. So digital, digital marketing works quite well when it comes to a performance. And let's, let's stay on the growth topic. You raised $18.5 million as part of your seed round. And I think at this point you hadn't, you hadn't even launched the product. How did you go about attracting this, this kind of capital and, and what did you hope to do with it? That was last year. It's very old news. <laughs> uh, when I raised money, uh, I had a PPT. And uh, actually not even PPT, a Google Doc. And when you are as old as me, you make friends in the industry. And when they have seen you work, they know that, you know, uh, this guy will do something, right? He'll, he'll create value. So they just believed in that and the market. And I got lucky. <laughs> uh, that's how I got the funding. What I did with that money or what I'm doing with that money is that I launched within six months our beta product. So we started on October last year. That's when we hired our first person. Uh, in June this year, we launched our uh, our product pay one third. Uh, and today we are the fastest growing fintech to disburse $20 million on a monthly basis, fastest ever. Like within five months, we've been able to achieve that milestone. And uh, no fintech in India operates at the quality of customers that we have. Our, our 90 days past due is 0.06%, which is unmatched in the industry today. Uh, forget fintechs, banks don't match it. So that's we have been able to get to. 
Amazing. And let's let's zoom out a little bit to the industry overall. Um, so what what overall trends within the fintech industry uh, excite you most in the next three to five years? Um, let's say specific to India and, and maybe how does how does the Indian landscape differ to you from the U.S. or other uh, fintech landscapes? So the India market is as a different kind of depth today. So it has become really, really easy to scale niche ideas. Let's say you have a niche idea in investing space. You want to sell covered bonds. Uh, you can get to 100,000 investors like this. You want to scale P2P investing. You can get to like half a million investors like this. Uh, you want to do a very custom credit-led payment product. You can go like this. Right? So, so India has a beautiful depth today. The top 100 million Indians is comparable to the top 100 million Americans roughly or remove the top 1 million from US. Right? And because of that, it has become very, very easy to scale businesses in India. So take any fintech idea or take any idea. If there is a million, two million customer base for it, right? You can make a sizable company in financial services. But if it is a 10, 15 million customer base, right? You can make a billion dollar company quite fast. Uh, if it has a 50, 60 million customer base, you are a decacon for sure. That's the opportunity in India. Have you found that typically Indian fintech startups, when they move to other Southeast Asian countries, have success or do they struggle with the demographic differences? So I haven't stepped outside Indian shores ever, so I don't know personally, but a lot of companies, right, from Ola to Urban, Urban Company to, to many others, uh, Clever Tap, right, they have been stepping outside Indian shores. We have examples of consumer companies, we have examples of SaaS companies, right, they're able to step out. I think that the Indian talent has a lot of depth. And products that we're building are world quality. So Indian entrepreneurs are really good, right? So I think if we, if we set our sights on a market and we go all in, I don't see a reason why we can't win. And let's talk a little bit of a harder question, but are there any sectors within fintech that you're particularly bearish on or that you think might be a little bit overhyped right now? New banking for white collar people. So I think new banking is excellent thesis for SMEs, for blue collar workers. But new banking for white collar individuals, I think that's too overhyped. Can you expand on that a little bit? What parts of the demographic differ so much from blue collar workers that you think it, it won't work out? See, a white collar worker is salaried, right? And a salaried individual in India is spoiled for choice. They're limited salaried people. All banks want to cater to them. They have built specific programs. Everybody wants to cater to them. So it's not that they, and banks, product. It's fully functional. It may not be magical experience, but it's fully functional. It has all the features, at least from a banking point of view. And a decent app, right? It, it doesn't suck. It doesn't suck as much. So I think this new banking layer for this highly spoiled customer segment of white-collar workers, that I think is it, there isn't a meaningful opportunity. There is everywhere else where there are much, many more complicated problems. But new banks, especially for white-collar workers, I, I don't think it's not. But then there are all schools of thoughts, right? So time will tell if I'm right or wrong. Time will tell. You're one of the few people that didn't respond uh, crypto or DeFi to either of the last two questions. Curious on your thoughts on this space, if you think uh, it, does it belong in the underhyped or overhyped? Now, fintech is highly regulated in India, highly regulated. Crypto and DeFi are not. Crypto and DeFi, in my opinion, are wonderful opportunities. But I don't count them under the flag of fintech because of the regulatory act. That's the reason. The last thing I wanted to do, to do today was just have a rapid fire round of questions um, to help the audience get to know you a little bit better. Uh, so we're hoping to get answers here in 10 seconds or less. Let's do it. Uh, what is a fun fact about you that most people don't know about? 
I'm crazy about cartoons. I love watching cartoons. I can I can spend days watching cartoons. I can miss meetings to watch cartoons. <laughs> I don't miss a cartoon. I please don't try. Uh, any cartoon in particular? Uh, no, everything works. <laughs> I joined my kids in binging uh, cartoons when they were three years old and four years old and now six years old. So, so everything works for me. Got it. Uh, what job did you want to have as a kid? Neurosurgeon. I wanted to uh, mm. perform open brain surgeries. <laughs> what happened? Well, uh, the first time I tried to dissect the frog, uh, I realized I just cannot. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good. At least you found out early. Yeah. What is your favorite vacation spot in India? I think I love Goa. Uh, very, very uh, traditional answer, but I just love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your favorite book? Favorite book? Uh, damn, this is hard. I think the latest one, Working Backwards, Story of Amazon, uh, How They Work. Uh, and last question for today, and you can take a little bit longer on this if you'd like. Uh, what does success look like for you and uni? I think success in business is about being able to create a successful business first. There are two two steps. I'll define what success in business means to me and what success means to me personally, what I'm chasing. So building a successful business means that business is profitable, so it generates profits, and is defensible, sustaining. So whatever profit generates, it can defend those profits sustainably for a long period of time. Usually businesses, to do to be defensible sustainably, they need to create a lot of assets, be at a certain scale, etc., etc. But that's what business means to me. Now, every business gets disrupted between 5 to 15 years. Every business model, not business. And that's the nature of ever-changing consumer expectations. And the only way to deliver on that is that the business keeps on changing itself. Right? A Kodak doesn't happen to you, a Nokia doesn't happen to you, a Blockbuster doesn't happen to you. And when you can do that, right, what you end up becoming is an institution. Harvard is an institution, Wharton is an institution, McKinsey is an institution, Unilever is an institution, PNG is an institution, ITC is an institution, Google is an institution, Amazon is an institution. For me personally, I want to build Uni into an institution. That would be ultimate success for me. Amazing. I think that's probably probably the best place to wrap up today's conversation. So Nitin, thank you so much for your time and your insights into the space. I wish you the best of success and looking forward to watching Uni continue to grow. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you again for having me over. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Medium, and Twitter at Warden Fintech. There you will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. I would also like to thank our editor, Raphael Austria, for his incredible work on our episodes. Signing off, I'm your host, Anirudh Singh.